0: Welcome to What If, So What? The podcast where we ask what's possible with digital and figure out how to make it real in your business. I'm Jim Hertzfeld.
1: And I'm Kim Chopek. We're part of Proficient's digital strategy team. And today we'll ask what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? If you're of a certain generation, you may envision the quote unquote chief marketing officer as the one who has the big creative campaign ideas, a lock on the brand mark, and on point for translating the brand style guide to marketing collateral. But if you're part of a different generation or maybe just young at heart, you might think of that same role as the person who scours customer data, builds digital marketing plans with target ROIs, and drives content optimization across omni-channel programs. The truth is though, in 2021, the CMO must do all of the above, and that's becoming a real challenge to the traditional definition of the role. So what does it take to be a CMO today? Does this role need a total overhaul in the digital age? In this episode of the podcast I talked to Lisa Bowman, former CMO at brands like UPS and United Way, about how the CMO responsibilities and skill sets have evolved as organizational digital transformations have progressed and what it takes to be a successful modern CMO.
2: Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Kim, so happy to be here.
1: We're happy to have you. This is such a, a hot topic, so to speak. The role of the chief marketing officer, how it's evolved. Is it splitting? Is it diverging? Is it converging? How do we really see this role going forward? So we're, we're really interested to hear how you see it, given your tenure and, and the position. But let's take a step back. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you've seen that role of chief marketing officer evolve over time. And and kind of more importantly, how do you think digital has impacted the CMO role and what's expected of it?
2: Thanks. That's a a great tee up. You know, by background, I'm a a chief marketing officer. I like to refer to myself as a architect because I build for brands at the intersection of purpose and profit, and that's where good business lives. So I've spent the last 10 years working in a CMO role, both in a corporate foundation and for a true nonprofit. Now I do consulting with organizations that are looking at how they infuse purpose into their organizations, because that is also so very important. But to your point, I really think that over the past five to seven years, and specifically the last even three years, right, digital has so impacted the role of the CMO, because there's so much more data available. And I think that in the past, the marketing department was, you know, often arts and crafts. It's where you go to get brochures or pretty posters. And today, marketing is more than ever, I think, a strategic partner to the business. Um, It's responsible for growth via demand gen and responsible for data and analytics in some cases, as I was in my last role. So I think that the role of the CMO is actually getting a lot bigger and you're starting to see it become far more common too, that CEOs are actually former CMOs. And I I really attribute that to the fact that candidly, the CMO is the one that's so close to the customer and knows the customer. And that's the key thing for any business to be successful is knowing the customer and being able to meet their needs. That's such a great point, and you talk about even in the past three years. Is this because
1: you feel like data maybe has become more usable, more available? What has happened specifically in the last three years that you think has really pushed it forward?
2: I think the digital has definitely provided right a wealth of insight via data, and we didn't have that before. I'm not saying it's new just within the past three years, but things are evolving and changing so rapidly, you know. Not to date this, but if you think about what's happened during COVID and how digital transformation has happened overnight, the amount of data and the behavioral change and the insights on that that are available to marketers have even changed rapidly over the past six months, past year. And I think that's going to continue. But I really think that it's more about what we can understand from that data. Old metrics, you would buy day parts. Um, today, when you're buying digital, you know who's interacting with your brand, what time of day they're interacting, what else they're interacting with. And all of that helps us to get a 360 view of the customer that we didn't have previously.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And maybe that brings me to my, my next question. If you think about the CMO role, their daily activities. And let's just talk about today because you're right. Maybe even six months, a year ago, it would have been different. But if you think about how they spend their day broken into a pie chart.
2: Well, to start with, any slice of pie looks good to me. I'm a pie eater. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And to me, apple pie is actually a breakfast food because it's got fruit. So, um, you know, I really think that that pie today is cut into a lot more pieces than it used to be you know, in the past, maybe it was a pie that served four or six, right? It was sort of creative and brand and sometimes communications. But today, those slices are a lot skinnier. You've got data, you've got digital, you have growth, you have customer experience. And I think there's a new ingredient to that pie too, that's going to come forward and create a new slice, which is really the EX or employee experience. And I think- That what we're going to see moving forward is that as purpose becomes so much more important to brands with Gen Z coming into the workplace, because that's a non-negotiable for them. I think to some extent, the EX is going to be almost as important as the CX, because those employees and the experience that they have with your brand, they're your brand ambassadors. And if they're bought into the brand and the purpose of the brand, that is going to come through in every piece of what they do for your company every day and translate to the customer and help the customer experience to be a superior one. So I think we're going from, you know, like I said, those big slices of pie to skinnier slices and looking at things like growth. A lot of CMOs today are responsible for growth. They're responsible for data and analytics. Traditionally, they really were only responsible for the very, very top of the funnel with awareness. And today they're starting to permeate down a couple levels with the responsibility for growth, filling it up through demand gen, but then also starting to really push it through for the sales folks to sort of that midpoint, allowing the sales folks to grab it and pull it through the bottom and and close the sales.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have definitely witnessed that myself. And I've seen a lot of, I'll say, more traditional CMOs who were always on the brand side um, and awareness side, as you're saying, really struggle with being challenged on show me the money. You know, I'm, I don't care about impressions. I want to know conversions. I want to know what channels my customers are coming from. I want to know what my ROI is on my paid media spend. And a lot of these traditional CMOs really have not been able to bridge that gap or pull in the right people to augment that skill set. So I'm wondering if you had like an ideal candidate, if you were to kind of write a recruiting you know, job description for a modern CMO, what would that look like? Where would you start to look for kind of the perfect candidate? Or is there a perfect candidate?
2: You know, I don't know that there is ever a perfect candidate for anything, but what I would say to that is that a lot of your CMOs tend to be a little bit older by virtue of having that experience, right? You've got to go through those experiences, sort of climb the ladder to get to that role. And therefore, so many of us did not grow up with digital and all of the technology that's there today. But I also think to your point, Many of us are traditional brand marketers, and you're right, we struggle with that because it's not necessarily intuitive to us. So I would say that one thing any candidate for a CMO should bring to the table, particularly if they don't have those skill sets native, is an acknowledgement that they don't have that skill set and a willingness to recognize that as the CMO, you don't always have to be the smartest one in the room or the one to do everything. You have to know how to surround yourself with the right people that can help you get it done. And I think that's true in any leadership role, not just the CMO. So I think that we've had this sort of generational divide, if you will, where you've got boomers and Gen Xers that in many cases have traditionally been the CMOs, but then you've got millennials coming up right through the ranks that have a very different skill set. And I think the perspective has been that, well, they're they're younger. What do they know? They haven't had the years of experience that I have. And the years of experience count for something, but there's a big knowledge gap with not having grown up with some of the technology.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How How have you personally adjusted to that scenario?
2: You know, it's been a challenge, no doubt. I didn't grow up a digital native and I've had to learn. So it's a matter of educating myself formally. I've been pursuing a certification in digital marketing. It's part of how I've used some of my time this past year is to really make sure that I have a good understanding. But I also recognize that I don't know hands-on how to do SEO. Do I know how to hire somebody that's really good at what they do and will know how to do SEO? Yes, I do. And that's part of what comes with that experience is knowing how to find the right candidates, how to bring in the right people to form a really solid team. So I think for me, it, you know, it's been that recognition that I don't know how to do all of this. I have to understand it. I don't necessarily have to know how to do it, but I need really smart people around me that do know how to do it. So
1: this notion of maybe reverse mentoring, where we're saying these digital natives in the organization are really asked to mentor senior leaders on you know technologies, modern approaches, some of these hands-on digital strategies and capabilities. Have you seen that work well? Um, Any big lessons learned or any big
2: gotchas to be aware of? Reverse mentoring is actually something that I put into practice um, in my last role because I did have a much younger team and they look at things a little bit differently. You know, again, it's to me, that's the other facet of diversity is really that diversity of experience that people bring to the table. And so I structured that so that each quarter I had a different reverse mentor on my team that I would work with side by side that would look at what we were doing and look at strategy and where we were headed and give me their perspective on it. You know, why aren't we doing this on Instagram? Or, hey, we should be using Snapchat or have you thought about doing this? Even things like from a brand perspective, you know, as a brand marketer, to me, your brand mark is sacred and you don't change it. But then I've had people... Come to me and say, Look, so and so did this on Instagram. They flipped their brand mark upside down for a day or they changed colors for a day. We should think about doing that. And in the old days, that wasn't something that I ever would have thought of doing, right? Because you protect that brand with everything that you have. But there are ways to do that. And guess what? It doesn't harm their brand, it doesn't hurt anything. And it's a way to engage with different audiences and have some fun with it. So there were some really good learnings for me that I think. I've always been one that is good with taking a risk, but traditionally it's been a very calculated, well-informed risk. And sometimes you can step a little bit out there and try some different things. And I think particularly with digital, it's a little more forgiving. If you see that something's not working, you can yank it back quicker and adjust it real time. Whereas with other forms of media and other channels, you couldn't, you were kind of locked into what you were doing. So I think one of the lessons I learned from this was it's okay to play with some stuff, but if you're going to fail, fail small, safe, and fast, but go ahead and try it.
1: Yeah. And you, you used the word before. We've had other guests that talk about brand ambassadors. And my perspective on this is the CMOs used to be the brand keeper And to your point, some very controversial conversations around how to use the brand, how to project the brand, they sort of evolved into the more successful ones, brand ambassadors. Like, how do we leverage the strength of our brand in different ways without being so dogmatic to certain things that we would have been dogmatic about? logo positioning, horizontal, vertical layouts, things like that. And I think when we're talking about generational differences, I've seen a lot of that same thing that, you know, younger generations who are more digitally native will come up with some of those ideas and really push the boundaries or get their organizations to push the boundaries under this umbrella of brand ambassadorship versus keeping it safe and sacred.
2: I think that there's just more appetite for brands to be a little flexible. Because you do have the ability to do that quickly and change something up for a day, for a week, for a a special occasion or a campaign on digital, whereas you didn't have that flexibility in the past. And so I think that that's opened up a, a whole new avenue of ways to play with a brand and maintain its integrity, but also expose the brand's personality in different ways.
1: Yes. And the easy answer is, why aren't more senior leaders looking to their younger peers for help? I guess it's ego. But is there something deeper there that you think if a CMO who's struggling on this topic, were listening to this, what's, what's the issue really, do you think?
2: You know, I think it's the same as like our parents, right? If you think about it, your parents would tell you, well, when I was growing up, I did this and you just don't know and blah, blah, blah. I think it's the same thing, right? I think that as you get older, you sort of look at the tenure that you've had in a role and the experiences and the path behind you, and you intuitively assume that somebody that hasn't had the breadth and depth of experience that you do can't possibly solve that problem. That's not true. Again, it kind of goes back to diversity. Diversity is about diversity of experiences. And so you're going to roll a bowling ball down. There's more than one way to. Get a strike, right? You can go down the center, you can go towards the side and hit him down on an angle, but there's there's multiple ways to get that ball down the lane and knock things out. And so I think you have to leverage all of the things that you have at hand. And sometimes that's just bringing a different perspective to the table and being open to doing that.
1: That's such a great metaphor. And you know, we've talked with other guests and have some more podcasts planned just around what does diversity mean and the real benefits of diversity. And and it's such an excellent point is how do you get diversity and results, positive results, if you don't have diversity in the inputs? I think it's great. If you were hiring somebody today, or if you were, you know, giving advice to someone who was just starting their career in marketing, what would you tell them to focus on?
2: I think there's two things, you know, and and I have worked quite a bit actually with some folks that are just entering the market and entering the market, albeit at a really challenging time, given the state of the job market. I think the one thing I would absolutely advise somebody to do is to find a mentor and have somebody help guide you. You know, there's nuances when you're new to the workplace that are not just, how do I get my work done? But what is the corporate culture here? What are the norms? What's okay and not okay? And those don't really sit in a handbook. Some of those you have to learn through experience. I remember years ago when I first started at UPS, culturally, the big thing there was that you would meet people in the cafeteria for coffee. We weren't allowed to have coffee in our offices or in our cubes at that point in time. So I had learned that very early on. And as I was networking and meeting new people, I was finding that I was literally spending a good part of my day in the cafeteria because I would say, oh, it's so nice to talk to you on the phone. Can we meet in the cafeteria for a cup of coffee? That was a cultural thing. But to me, it was sort of counterintuitive. I'm like, if my boss sees that I'm sitting in the cafeteria all day holding court at a table with different people, are they going to wonder if I'm getting any work done? But culturally, that was fine. That was how people got things done. And it really was that it was a combination of who you knew and who you were networked with that helps you to get things done. And I think that there's no guidebook and you don't learn that in school. So you come out of school with textbook knowledge, sometimes not a lot of hands-on knowledge. The other thing I would tell somebody is at least for me as a leader, the difference between somebody doing as expected in performance and exceeding performance is the person that's always raising their hand to say, what else can I do? How can I help? What can I take on? And steps out of their lane, if you will, to try and and grab something else. Because that to me says that they're looking to learn, they're looking to do other things, and they'll put forth that extra effort. And that's the differentiator to me, performance-wise. So I would also tell somebody, Find some things that you can raise your hand for that will be new to you, that will help you learn, but that will also show your boss that you're willing to go that extra step, even when your plate is full.
1: That's such great advice, Lisa. I'm going to have you call my kids who uh, one is out of college (laughs) looking for a job. One is in her last semester. Both have communications degrees, so they're going to need your advice on that one. But getting back to the kind of the CMO role, uh, kind of the same question, really, if there's one piece of advice you could give a CMO who's in a senior leadership position, who's really finding their role changing, sort
2: of that who moved my cheese situation, what would you tell them? You know, I think as humans, we're naturally resistant to change, right? It's by far the minority of people that really embrace it and are good with it. So many of us like things just the way they are. And I think that we've certainly had a lesson over the past year or so in how things are changing and how adaptable we are, even when it comes to companies before who wouldn't, you know, embrace working remote and have now realized that guess what? People really will work from home. They will do their job. So I think the one thing I would say is that if you're going to grow and if you're going to adapt and thrive in this new environment, you've got to get comfortable with change. Because change is a given. It's going to happen. You've got to be able to thrive a little bit in ambiguity. Everybody's got a different tolerance level for that, but things are changing and they're changing fast. So I think you've just got to get comfortable with the fact that things are going to change and recognize that it's just the way it is. Some people can do that, some people can't. And I think the people that can't do that and can't adapt to that are going to find themselves sitting on the sideline If you're somebody that can really be flexible and adaptable and look forward at what's happening and figure out how to quickly pivot to that, those are the folks that are really being successful today.
1: Well, Lisa, thank you so much for your time. This has been fabulous. I have a new metaphor around the strike strategy that I'm going to use now all the time, and I will give you credit for it. But we really appreciate your time (laughs) and your thoughts and intelligence here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. It's been a great conversation. Now it's time for our namesake segment, what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? Jim, Lisa has so much experience in this field and has lived through so many iterations of the CMO. She made some great points. What resonated with you?
0: Hey, Kim. Yeah, she was great. You know, it's great to get somebody on the show who has just seen so much. And, um, you know, she talked a lot about her lived experience, right, as a CMO and throughout her career. And I just love people who are able to kind of reflect and learn and then kind of witness the change as it happens. But I think uh, it was really clear that she said, you know, the CMO pie is cut into a lot of pieces, right? And it really is, you know, as you said, earlier, it's sort of the brand mark and it's the top of the funnel, but it goes so much farther. You know, it goes from just growth and demand gen down to once we've acquired a customer, how do we grow that customer? How do we cross sell and and expand the business? And where digital, I think, comes in is how do we use data to do that? Because digital is creating so much data and so many opportunities as we digitize things to know, you know, who and when and what they're doing. So I thought that was great. It's clearly at the evolution and then she extended it even further to the employee experience which is something i'm hearing about a lot lately yep a lot more it's definitely coming back up i think the one i guess my analysis on her analysis is this that if marketing is really about the customer right we really align not just digital but you know the customer focus then that really explains to me why the pie is cut into so many pieces because it certainly doesn't end at demand gen and branding and acquisition. But it also makes me think that the marketing job is going to be a theme, I think, in our other episodes, Kim. It's kind of everybody's job, right? I don't want to cross over too much, but... Everyone's a marketer. Yeah. Everyone's a marketer. Everyone has a responsibility to the customer experience. And again, digital is just accelerating that. So I thought it was really clear. I think that's a lot of the pressure that we see. From CMOs and our clients is they, they got to do a lot. There's more than ever is being asked of them.
1: Yeah, definitely. I loved her notion of market And I feel like that's a great way to capture all those different slices of the pie, potentially, maybe the CMO needs to have that vision, but they can't do it all for a variety of reasons like you mentioned, how much more data the brands have accumulated, especially during pandemic world (laughs) and how that's really, you know, the catalyst of, you know, pushing this role into more of a a data analyst than anything else. I started wondering, even though there's this notion of a market and a vision and the CMO can kind of steer the ship, are CMOs really going to be sliced too thin? You know, are we going to see different roles at the C-suite level start taking? some of those responsibilities over from the CMO and new titles altogether that just align with people's backgrounds and skill sets. You brought it up that this notion of the employee experience really driving the success of the brand experience. How do you modernize that, the employee experience yeah. under a digital operating model?
0: Really understated.
1: Yeah, it really is. That's not a new challenge, but it's so much more important for the CMO today to hire I would say people that have the right skill sets have the right capabilities for a digital operating model. It's interesting to really think about how a modern CMO and the marketing department can transform really along these lines.
0: It just reminded me of like, i don't I have to get too philosophical here, but this crosses my mind once in a while that it's like a Japanese proverb. I'm going to get this wrong, but if you chase two rabbits, both will escape. Right. That's that's the risk here.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Or my favorite, you know, my definition of multitasking is doing many things poorly. That's right. Yeah. How do you focus?
1: How do you focus? And how do you, as she kept bringing up, how do you really learn from people who know more about the subject matter? How do you, in the C-suite, really make sure that you're not so what high and mighty that you're not listening to people who have better experience. You don't think you know it all. You you really are kind of doing that reverse mentoring. I think that that's that's really important.
0: That was huge. I mean, I think that's an answer to the slicing the pie too thin, right? You just do have to rely on on your team. I mean, that's earned advice, right, from a veteran. So, Kim, we talked about this. Like, what's the big question here? What's the what if? And there's so many places we could go. I think the big what if here is what if your job title was never really established? What if it was just always changing? I you mean know, we hear CMO, we hear CXO. Maybe that's the big question here is rather than focusing on all the rabbits, you know, like <laughs> what's the rabbit I have to chase after? And maybe this quarter or this year, it's one thing and a year from now or six months from now or maybe tomorrow, we shift the focus into something else. What if your job title was just going to have to evolve the rest of your career?
1: I think that is so interesting coming into it. Like, you don't have a job title. Your job is whatever the focus is that day within some boundaries, within some confines. I think that's the true meaning of agility. That's sort of that ghost everyone's trying to see, <laughs> you know, like chasing the true meaning of agility. I think that's the so what then it's like, if you really didn't have a defined title, but the expectation was you were agile enough within a boundary of skill sets and kind of outcomes, you do your job every day based on those outcomes and titles be damned, because I think you're right. The so what right now is what do titles even really mean? You brought it up CMO, CDO, CXO, CIO, like how are organizations really defining where one role ends and one role begins today, they're not. And I think we've both seen that in in organizations we've worked with, a real turf war in some cases, worst case scenario, (laughs) best case scenario, they are starting to figure it out along those lines. But there's still kind of those holdouts I've seen in senior leadership where they really don't want to change, like we talked about. And I think Lisa mentioned the proverbial, who moved my cheese, that's a very real thing that organizations still have to deal with before they aspire to be more agile.
0: I'm going to have to go back and read that book again. It's a short read.
1: It's a short read. (laughs) So good. And and it's enduring, obviously.
0: Well, now what, Kim?
1: You know, I keep coming back to hearing everything that Lisa had to say, all the experience she's brought to the table, such good reflection on her part, and then seeing that the seismic shifts in digital opportunities for brands especially in the last year feels like the biggest nut to crack here is really examining the operating model and that could go back to the absence of roles and titles and you know defined responsibilities but i think a, an organization who really aspires to be more agile and understand how the marketing organization can evolve is really about measuring the maturity model around quote unquote digital And then understanding how the marketing organization from the CMO on down fits into that new model. And I think we both mentioned and and Lisa really emphasized how the employee experience fits into this operation. Find out how more tenured marketing leaderships and really anyone in the C-suite can learn from digital natives in their organizations. While not exclusive to the marketing role, I think this type of modern thinking is critical to top of the funnel success and really could be a good intersection with asking how data is being used today and how it can be collected and used more effectively. You can't just have a CMO making the call there. You gotta dive deep into your organization and uh, make sure you're getting ideas from all corners.
0: Yeah, always great advice. Well, Kim, I'm gonna go work on my new job title.
1: Oh, I thought we didn't have titles anymore.
0: (laughs) Just jobs. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Jim. All right. Thanks, Kim.
1: You've been listening to What If So What, the digital strategy podcast from Proficient with Jim Hertzfeld and Kim Chopek. We want to thank our Proficient colleagues, JD Norman and Rick Bauer for our music today. Subscribe to the podcast and don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at proficient.com. Thanks for listening.